Hello, and welcome to another episode of More Than Therapy. Today, my guest is Andrea Hansen, who's going to talk to us about many different degrees of trauma and the impact it has on us as humans. Andrea, please introduce yourself, but before you do so, what made you want to focus on trauma? Yeah, so what made me want to focus on trauma was a lot of my own experience dealing with trauma throughout my life um, and really not finding the help that I needed in a lot of mainstream therapy. Um, and of course, later on, I, I realized I found out why it wasn't effective. Um, but I, I saw a lot of therapists growing up. My parents had a really nasty divorce, a continuously nasty divorce. Um, and I saw a lot of therapists that were court ordered and um, went into a treatment center at one point as a teenager and really had um, not received the help that I needed. And it was really disheartening and a lot of times re-traumatizing. Really um, you know, I started to develop the, this idea that I was like so severely broken um, that these professionals couldn't even do what they needed to do to help me. Um, so I... I went into mental health therapy and at first I, I didn't know if I was interested in trauma. I was, um, I was kind of caught up in the mindset that, you know, the past is the past and you need to move on and you can't blame other people for their problems. But the more I worked with complex trauma and the more that I understood about it, the more I realized that it really is at the root of so much distress, not only individually, but in families and in cultures and globally. Um, and it's so much more complicated than, than we imagine. It's not about blaming anybody. It's about acknowledging how our bodies, our systems interact with our environment and doing what we need to do to, to shift that so that we can be our best self, so that we can live in harmony with ourselves and feel whole. So to introduce myself, um, you know, complex trauma therapist in Utah. I also have a coaching business so that I can work outside of Utah and um, do do really intensive breakthroughs. I do um, psychedelic assisted retreats throughout um, the world internationally and the coaching business allows me to do that. I'm not sure where Mr. Blue has gone. Are you still on Mr. Blue? Yes, I am a lot. I had missed and knocked over my keyboard make sure i oh, no. get out let me put this right here all right <laughs> gotta have those cues to know where i'm to edit yeah. <laughs> trauma impacts society in a lot of ways there was recently a shooting and recently at a school and that seems to be a reoccurring almost a generational curse, you know what I'm saying? Each generation seems to be impacted by by some form of fashion. Usually the culprit or the person that did the crime indicates being bullied or being victimized in such a way and this is their way of lashing out. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. It, trauma is really a global scourge, um, something that we're we're all dealing with in one way or another. And a lot of that does transfer down, like you were saying, from generation to generation. We, even if we don't experience trauma personally, our, you know, our grandpa may have been in a war or, and, you know, and his grandpa and his dad and, and throughout history, um, there's a lot of experiences that then 
trickle down to impact all of us. So we end up in this state of, you know, extreme us versus them, which ends up causing a lot of violence. And this, this sense of, you know, that there is something wrong with us as well. Um, and that develops with, with the bullying, with the, with a lot of different kinds of complex developmental trauma. And then everybody acts out differently based on what they've experienced and based on how their specific neurology was disrupted so that we end up having these um, really horrific traumatizing events that then just compound and add on to 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 that trauma so the the kid who did the shooting likely had experienced trauma in his life and that's in no way an excuse for what he did um However, he likely did experience trauma and then now he has gone out and caused trauma and that's a cycle that is common with trauma. Indeed, unfortunately, like you said, it's the cycle of trauma and how can the cycle be broken? We note it, you note it, at least on your website, it appears you step outside of CBT because in my practice, we know that ECBT is not deemed effective in most types of trauma. Yeah. Tell me about your ideology of thought on how it takes to treat trauma, especially in this day and age, as we move forward and learn more about how trauma works in the brain, that not only does it stay here, but the body keeps the score. Yeah, absolutely. It's on every level of our brain and body, and it requires um, acknowledging that and treating every layer of the brain and body. Like you were saying, talk therapy is really only 2% effective in most cases. It's really not doing much. So there's a couple different layers when it comes to treating trauma. And, and on the broad scale, it's awareness and understanding of what causes trauma, how to acknowledge trauma within yourself, and how to go about healing that. Far too often, uh, we, we look at each person as an individual that's 100% in charge of themselves. But the truth is that our biology, our neurology is made up of our genetics and also our environments. So if we have more trauma-informed environments, trauma-informed society, we're going to do a lot better when it comes to being able to work with trauma. When it comes to individual healing, it really does require so much more than is available within like the mainstream mental health field for the most part. Um, it's not really taught in graduate school. You learn a little bit about it, but you don't really get a full understanding of exactly what is trauma. How does it get stored in the body? How does it get stored in the brain? What are those disruptions and what do you do about it? So we end up having a lot of clients seeking out therapy and, and finding themselves on this hamster wheel where things really aren't getting better. What I do in my practice is is intensives. So we don't do the weekly one hour or 45 minutes. Instead, we get together for several hour long intensives that include breath work, a specific kind of uh, interceptive yoga that's made specifically for healing trauma. We do um, the bilateral stimulation that activates the lower regions of the brain and helps them communicate with the upper regions of the brain. And um, psychedelic assistance is, it's not new, but it's gaining in popularity. Psychedelic assistance has been used since the dawn of time for 
um, healing rituals and spiritual rituals. And it had a bit of a renaissance back in the 60s and 70s where it was used extensively for trauma. Um, and then it, it got shut down for the most part by federal regulations. And now it's, it's picking back up again, um, which is a great benefit to all of us. Tell us more about psychedelics as this Western ideology of thought seems to, it's like, woe is me. If it's not made by, you know, the manufacturers like Pfizer and whoever else, then it's, it's a no-go because their hands are so deep into the pockets of the FDA and government entities that control our mental health systems here in the United States. But I love the approach that you have, especially as you speak to psychedelics. Tell us about that mind-opening way to address trauma. Yeah, so pharmaceuticals as we know them, first off, are based on a lot of advertisements created by the pharmaceutical companies rather than actual reality. Um, the, the idea that mental illness is a chemical imbalance in the brain was part of a, a pharmaceutical ad campaign. And that's not actually what research has shown us is the case. It's more of a disruption throughout development of certain neuro neurological features in the brain that's the issue. So what we're able to do with psychedelics is instead of suppressing the symptoms and causing a whole bunch of side effects like pharmaceuticals do, we're able to just go in and disrupt the upper regions of the brain that put up a bunch of walls and they, they're there to keep us safe, but they keep us also stuck. So the psychedelics go in and they open that up and I've heard it described as kind of opening a cellar door where it's been shut, it's been locked, it's been bolted. There's probably been boxes on top of it. Nobody's going down there. And when you're, you're doing any kind of therapy, a lot of it is trying to navigate down to that cellar door. So the psychedelics help get you to a state where that cellar door is open. And now we can go in and we can find those pieces of self that are disrupted and lost throughout the timeline. And then we can add in a lot of different techniques once that, that door is open to really reintegrate and recalibrate the system for success. So it's not long-term like psychiatric medications and there's not the big side effects like psychiatric medications. It's really just a, um, a boost in certain regions of the brain that usually aren't boosted that allow us to get so much more work done than usual. It's funny how <laughs> the money that these pharmaceuticals have, the the, how deep they're into the pockets of our politicians who make these issues and make these changes, how they influence the way they want the medical field, the mental health field to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember, I'm oh, sorry, let me cut you off. I remember when it was the ADA, when alcohol was outlawed, the prohibition, and they didn't know what to do with the ADA agents. So what did they do? They made marijuana a class one and then started focusing on marijuana as they do with other things, you know what I'm saying? I remember heroin used to be in cough medicine. I remember um, co cocaine was in Coca-Cola soda, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Freud thought that cocaine was a miracle drug and, you know, wonderful for curing heroin addiction. <laughs> right, right, right. We, 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 we learn more and no more. And yes, they do to some extent have some benefits, but then we also have to look, anything in excess is damaging. They, I've heard Absolutely. people drowning from drinking water too much. So I mean, 
<laughs> that's a really good point. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, with psychedelics, of course they can be misused. Of course they can. Um, you know, the, the guy that, that stormed the Capitol um, just a while back with the bullhorns, he was a regular psychonaut um, and obviously not, not doing it properly with the proper care um, in the proper environments with the, with the right process to make it a really beneficial healing experience. So there, you really can go quite astray doing psychedelics alone. Um, you can have increased trauma there. You can have traumatic experiences and with the, with the right guidance, when you encounter these big anxious or paranoid moments within the psychedelic journey, you can guide through that and see, you know, what is this that's coming up? Why is it coming up? Is this something that's been repressed that we need to now work through to navigate through? Um, maybe it haunts you on a on a lower level on a regular basis um, and, and is more like stomach aches or anxiety or even um, lethargy, right? But now it's right here in front of us. And with the proper guidance, we can look at it and we can work through it. We can reintegrate it in a different way. Um, but without that guidance, it really can be just a traumatic experience, another traumatic experience. Um, and there are um, there are other psychedelics that are, you know, FDA approved like ketamine. And that one is also party drug, can be used at home. Um, but it's it's not it's not a good idea to do that. On your website and your bio, you've indicated that you work with um that Black Lives Matter is, is important to you and important to your work. I know in um many treatment modules, especially here in Durham, North Carolina, that the people that were impacted by things that impact, you know, black lives aren't readily addressed or addressed appropriately in therapeutic practice as the clinicians aren't meeting the clinician meeting the client where they're at. The clinicians aren't you know what I'm saying, you know, understanding their cultural norms, not being multiculturally competent to deal with the issues that impact such a client or such a person. And then that person noticing this at, you know, the first time they meet the clinician, bow out and don't get the help they need, end up treating themselves through other means, usually through substance use or substance abuse or other maladaptive or addictive behaviors. How do you in your practice, address people who are impacted by Black Lives Matter. Absolutely, it is it is vital to bring up in the therapy space. Um, it it can't be ignored. Racial experiences and the experience of being in a black body in the in the U.S. I'll speak for the U.S. I don't know exactly what it's like in other spaces, but in the US is a traumatizing experience in and of itself, seeing people like you being harmed, being murdered, being, um, you know, invalued. It is traumatizing having to know how to conduct yourself in order to save your own life in certain situations, if you possibly can. Um, that is a, a traumatizing environment that cannot be ignored. On top of that, um, not understanding the trauma of being black in America causes a lot of not okay diagnoses. And that, that's true of trauma in general. Not understanding trauma causes a lot of people to be diagnosed with a lot of things, but particularly black males get way overdiagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, and I actually had a, a black male client who came into me on 
um, several antipsychotic medications and with us with a schizophrenic diagnosis and we got down to the root of it understanding his experience as a, a, not only a black boy but he also had a lot of trauma from from a lot of other things in his life and really his state of mind and his response on a neurological level made so much sense just based on everything that he had been through. So he ended up getting off of his medications and now he's in college, he's, he's going into the therapy field himself. He's a really good person. Um, and that would have been overlooked if we didn't look at what is the trauma behind this. And if we had just you know, gone along with the schizophrenia diagnosis and medicated him into, you know, into a really bad place. Indeed, indeed. Another focus I see you have is trans lives matter. People feel like, oh, people have a choice in regards to their sexual identity, not knowing or not understanding that internally this is how they feel and this is how they want to be treated, via the pronouns as well as their, their body identification. I'm sure that your, your declaration that you just said would totally apply to that. But are you seeing an influx of clients that are impacted by, you know, air quote, trans live matters as people are becoming more comfortable in their body, which they weren't 10, 20, 30 years ago to such a degree in which now we must recognize that this population must be served and must be treated and respected as as who they and as they identify. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the I've worked with quite a few trans clients and you know, over and over, and research shows this as well, when trans clients are respected for their, their preferred pronouns and their preferred name, it reduces suicide rates. So it 100% matters and it 100% is traumatic for them to be in a space, in an identity that they don't belong to. Um, and I, I, you know, if we think about it, we would likely all feel the same way. We wouldn't want to be able to see us consistently as something that we're not and not accept us for who we are. It's 100% important and it's a journey too. It's okay for trans people to decide that they're non-binary and then decide that they are fully trans and to change their name a couple times. It, as long as we accept them, they're going to have much better outcomes and live as opposed to if we don't accept them. Um, it's it's not hard to change the name that you're calling somebody, and it can save a life. Um, I you know speaking of trans you know awareness and people being able to be more themselves in their bodies. I've had a really great opportunity of working with um, a person in their 60s who had been seeing a therapist since a small child for cross dressing issues, and then in adulthood married a person and, and they were identifying as cis as the time they married someone, had children, and really just tried to, to bury being trans. And it caused crippling anxiety that just on their couch, just balled up, not able to function. Um, and they had dealt with this their entire lives. And then finally were able to accept themselves and do a lot of that deep healing that comes from that issue of not being seen for who they were and not being accepted for who they were and living a life outside of it. And then, and then their spouse's reaction 
when the spouse found out, you know, there was a lot of accusations about, you know, what they had been doing all these years and that they were a terrible person and a sick person and a perverse person. And that's, that's traumatizing. But being able to work through that, now this person's able to be free to talk to their spouse. They're in a much better place. They don't have panic attacks anymore. They're able to dress the way that they want to dress. It's, um, it's so vital that we respect identities. Indeed. Please, please tell me more about Radically Free Me, your course, which seems very enlightening, but I want you to explain it in your own words. Radically Free Me. Yeah. So Radically Free Me is my six-week course, and it's it's um, a do-it-on-your-own course. And it's a compilation of uh, modalities and uh, processes that I've taken hundreds of clients through throughout the years. So I just compiled it into a course. And what it does is it, it focuses on the prison that we all put ourselves in. So we, the first step to breaking out of, of a prison is, of course, realizing that we are in one. And then we go on to find out what it's made out of, because that is the next step in breaking out. So realizing, okay, I'm stuck and it's up to me to get myself out of this. And then what is making me stuck? And we can't blame other people or situations. And of course, our environment has played a role that now if we wanna get unstuck, we have to realize what are the stories that I've developed about myself over the years, over the decades that are now keeping me stuck in a loop of confirming those stories and who am I holding accountable for my successes and failures? Who's outside of me? And then we, we go through a process of releasing that, of going back and retelling the story and, and releasing other people from accountability for ourselves and really aligning with that sense of meaning and purpose. Who are you? What do you want out of life? What is the truth about you? So those, those stories that you made up about yourself, not being good enough, not being worthy, being incompetent, and not deserving of love, all of that stuff, those were insecurities, but they weren't the truth. So if we can find out what your sense of meaning and purpose is, then we can get to the root of who you are. And then we can align those and make commitments to the self. So breaking out of that prison and stepping into freedom. I'm a licensed clinical addiction specialist who mainly uses skills such as, I don't know, solution-focused therapy, motivational interviewing, dialectical behavior therapy. But you, at your agency, use this thing called Symbios. I think I said it right. Symbios. That is the name of my ketamine clinic. Yes. yes. Tell us about that, please. Because I'm trying to help the world, especially the East Coast, expand the way they address addictions. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm an addiction specialist as well. Addiction and complex trauma go hand in hand. I have absolutely never met a person with an addiction who does not have complex trauma. And the research is there as well, that they are intricately interlinked. So they, the treatment of them overlaps. But it seems really counterintuitive to use ketamine, which is thought of as a party drug, to treat addiction. But when we mix it with all of the complex trauma modalities, it is a really powerful tool in healing the regions of the brain that are causing the addiction. So addictions, it's not a choice in the way that, that we think about choices. People don't choose a drug over their families 
choices like that are in the upper regions of the brain. But addiction is in the lower regions, the survival mechanism of the brain, and substances hijack that. And the brain gets primed for that hijack from trauma. So the brain is already primed to, to need that extra dopamine, to be in excess distress, to not have a very firm connection with the upper regions of the brain. So when that dopamine comes in from the drug, and it's this amazing relief from all of the distress of the trauma, and the and it doesn't have the brain doesn't have all of the the extensive networking that it needs to pull out of that um, because as a result of the trauma, then what we end up in is a brain that's been hijacked. The survival mode of the brain has been hijacked. So if we can go in there and disrupt it all with the ketamine, which pumps a lot of glutamate into the brain. Um, and glutamate is a learning chemical. It's, it, we can think of it as like the urging, urges and cravings in addiction, where you have the dopamine spike and then the glutamate tells you, hey, this is where we got that dopamine. Really handy in survival is if we get a dopamine spike from, you know, back in caveman days from eating from a blueberry bush, then when we're hungry again and we're worried about dying from starvation, glutamate can say, hey, this is where we got nutrition last time. But in addiction, that's hijacked. So the glutamate is saying, oh, you're distressed. This could mean death. That's just how the system works. So here is this drug, here's the solution. So it's not a choice so much as an instinct. So if we can break that up and fill the brain full of glutamate and then use a lot of those deeper rewiring um, tactics like EMDR, IFS, um, body movement, breath work, then we can really help reset the, that region of the brain that's been hijacked. Indeed, indeed. Well, thank you, Ms. Andrea Hansen, regarding everything you brought to us regarding addictions and trauma. You've been a breath of fresh air, especially as you know, the East Coast were very stern in the way we approach mental health and anything outside of the way that it, the powers that be says to do it is banned or laughed at or not approved by the medical providers or the reimbursement providers. I thank you for what you do. I look forward to seeing what you continue to do. Please tell people about your practice and tell them about, you know, how to get in contact with you and what you bring to the table regarding addictions and trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I am. Um... It is lonely. Just to address what you you were saying, I'm I'm out in Utah, and we're really strict here. There's a lot of stigmas, not only around mental health, but but treating things in an alternative way, even if it's a way that research really shows is super effective. The field is stuck in its ways, and I think that's true kind of across the board. So it is it is lonely, and it is important for clinicians um, to to stick together and to have conversations with each other and to lift each other up. Um, rather than being in in a in a fight and tearing each other down and in competition, so I would love to connect with other clinicians who are um, experiencing that same alienation. I have a Facebook group called Therapists Rising, um, and that's where we as therapists can discuss these matters and and help lift each other up. Um, on you know, you can go to my website, andreahanson.net, and that lists out a couple of my different offers. I have some do-it-yourself um, offers, and then I have the some virtual breakthrough offers, my ketamine clinic, and then I, I also do psychedelic-assisted 
um, healing retreats that are very, very intimate, just one-on-one -on -one or extremely small groups. Um, so you can learn more about that there. Well, thank you. Thank you for your interesting perspective. I appreciate you. And this has been another episode of Modern Therapy. Be well, be great.